Bibles this morning and turn, if you will, to Genesis 32. Genesis 32 is we uh, look at God's Word together. You know, I was thinking this week how God is blessing us as a people and as a family. You can almost feel the winds of the Spirit of God moving among us right now. Now, I know some of you wished it was the uh, wind of the air conditioning because it's a little warmer for some of you. I do have a little hint, though. You sit down front, it's a little cooler. (laughs) I was just up in the balcony. That's a personal testimony from the pulpit, okay? But the winds of the Spirit of God moving among us. I hope that you can sense that, too. I sense God doing something and God working within us. And that is so exciting to know that God is still working among his people. And I am so excited about the next few weeks in particular of what God is going to continue to do. Those he's going to continue to speak to. The salvations that we pray that we will see. And those who will recommit their lives. And those of us who will submit ourselves to his mission and his work. It is an exciting time in the life of the Temple family. And I hope and pray that as you gather here, you have that same expectation as well. We also know that as we struggle with God, that we see that blessing and we see that work. Now, that seems so strange to talk about struggle and blessing. But today in the text that we see, we'll note how God can struggle with us. He can work in us so that he can produce blessing within us. Now, Genesis 32, set in the life of Jacob. I want to give you the context before we read our passage because no true meaning of the text is understood without the context. So let me give you just a little bit of the context. Jacob, he has served for 20 years his uncle Laban. 14 of those years he served in order to find the appropriate wife. It took him a little bit, and there was a lot of deception and scheming involved, but he is married now, and he has had a family. Six more years, he served in order to see how God would work and bless even through Uncle Laban. Even though Uncle Laban didn't necessarily want to bless Jacob, God worked in Jacob's life, and he brought blessing. And in those 20 years, he had accumulated wealth. He had accumulated possessions, even in the midst of contention. Well, after 20 years, it's time to go home. It's time to go back to Canaan. He is going back to see his father, Isaac. But understand, in the return, there will also come confrontation. Jacob is going back to his home, but he knows as he's going back to his home, he will have to face his brother. Remember his brother? The one that he had deceived, the one that he had tricked out of the very blessing that he had. He would have to face Esau. So he made his preparation and he headed back home. Now he didn't know what the future would hold. I mean Esau had said, in the day that our father dies, I will kill you, my brother. And perhaps Jacob thought that this would be the very moment when he would not only meet Esau, but he would meet his death. But he traveled back. Well, angels met him. How wonderful would that be, right? In chapter 32, verse 1, it says, The angels of the Lord, the angels met Jacob. Sometimes when we make a return trip home, it's good to have an angel with us, right? Especially when you've been gone from home as long as I have been. 
It's good to have an angel to see your mama, you know, when you get back. The angels met him. And then he sent messengers out. He said, I want you to go and I want you to find Esau and I want you to tell him what we're going to do and that we're coming. He was, trying to, he was trying to discern the situation. He was trying to plan for the situation. His messengers go out and his messengers come back with what kind of story? Well, his messengers come back and say, we found Esau. By the way, Esau has 400 men with him. 400 men with your brother the one that hates you, the one that is vowed to kill you, 400 men. Jacob, well, he was scared. He was afraid. Anybody would have been in that context. And actually, in verse 9 of chapter 32, he lifts a prayer to God and he says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will dwell well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you, you, you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Notice... Jacob went to God and he prayed and he said, God, I just need you to save me right now. I need you to work in my life and I need you to work in my brother Esau's life and I need you to just protect me and my family. And then Jacob, still scheming, still planning, what he does is he offers gifts to Esau. He sends different sheep and goats and he sends different livestock in successive waves so that maybe when Esau sees the first group, his anger will begin, to, uh, will begin to deteriorate just a little bit and then the next group and the next group and the next group so that maybe he will soften Esau up. Still planning, still scheming. That's the context. Look in verse 22. And he, that is Jacob, arose that night, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw what he, that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, what is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank. So here he is. He decides he's going to send his family, his wives, his children, all that he has. He's going to send them across this little brook called Jabbok. He gets them across, and then he comes and he finds himself alone at night. 
Now, what is he going to do? Maybe he's going to continue in prayer. Maybe he's going to continue to ask God for some kind of deliverance. I mean, oftentimes when we find ourselves in such difficult situations, we turn to God in such a way. And maybe that's what he was going to do. Or maybe he even thought that he was going to have another Bethel moment. You remember that as we studied it just a few weeks ago, that when Jacob left Canaan, when he was on his way to see his uncle Laban, God appeared to him as he had, as he had lay down that night, as he had uh, just felt himself disheartened and disappointed. God had appeared in this great vision. Remember the ladder, the staircase with the angels going up and down, and God had revealed himself to Jacob. And it was an awesome, reassuring presence that had come. And maybe what Jacob was saying is, God, I'm getting alone right now. And, and I'm going to stay by myself because I need a Bethel moment. We may not be in Bethel, but God, I, I need your reassuring, confident, awesome presence. And maybe that's what Jacob was doing. He had prayed for God to speak and God to work. And God answered how did God answer? He answered with a struggle. He answered with a man. A man who attacks him during the night. Can you imagine this? I mean, here Jacob is by himself on right beside the brook of Jabbok. The enemy is just across the way. 400 men with Esau. And as he is going to sleep, as he is drifting off, all of a sudden he is attacked by a man. Now, I know when you look at me, you see just an example of courage. I understand that. When you see me on Sunday mornings, you think that is a courageous guy that's standing up there in that pulpit. I know that's what you think. But I will tell you that my courage, well, it melts away. It melts away. If I hear a noise at night, I play like I don't until Leslie gets up to see what is going on. <laughs> Guys, you there with me? I mean, the slightest noise when you're alone and by yourself and in the dark can seem so magnified. But here's Jacob. He's there by himself. He is hoping maybe for a Bethel moment, for God to speak to him in some reassuring way. And what happens? He's attacked. Well, God, thank you for that answered prayer. I remember that old movie, It's a Wonderful Life, comes on every Christmas. You remember where George Bailey prays and he asked God to do something. And the next thing you know, he's in a fight. And someone even suggests to him that maybe he pray or speak to God. And he says something to the effect, well, the last time I tried that, I was punched in the face. Jacob must have thought he was been punched in the face as a result of his prayer. You ever felt like that before where you prayed for something? God, give me some reassuring presence. Give me a sign, God. And then all of a sudden it seemed like everything went against you. See, God doesn't always answer us the way we think he will or the way he has previously. Now, there are moments in our lives we need a Bethel. I mentioned that just a 
couple weeks ago, we need a Bethel. We need that reassuring, awesome presence in our lives. But then what God wants to do at other times is to, is to come into our lives and allow us to struggle some so that through the struggle, we will find blessing. And that's what you see here. He struggles. At first, he probably thinks, Esau, Esau's tracked me down. I mean, Esau must have found me, and now I'm struggling with him. Or maybe he thought it was one of Esau's assassins, one of Esau's henchmen that had found him on that side of the Jabbok. And he was wrestling with him, struggling with him. But as he struggled through the night, he recognized that it wasn't just his brother. It wasn't just the assassin of his brother. But it was God himself that he was struggling with, that he was wrestling with. I want to give you three realities very quickly, okay? One, when we wrestle with God, we have to come to grips with who he is and who we are. When we wrestle with God, when we struggle with God, and there are those moments in our lives where we're going to struggle and we're going to wrestle. Maybe it's about God's will for our lives or God's plan for our lives. And we may be all by ourselves. It seems like so often it is at night when everything is quiet and everybody seems to be drifting off into their own reality for the night. And it's those moments that God will speak and, and you'll struggle and you'll pray. We talk about struggling against temptation and Satan and all those things. But what happens when you're struggling with God about a certain issue in your life? When we wrestle with God or we struggle with God, we have to come to grips with who he is and who we are. I said to you in the beginning, maybe he thought this was Esau or one of Esau's assassins. No matter what he thought, by the end of this experience, he knew that he had been right before God, that he had struggled with God, not just an angel. Not just an angel. Now, yes, in chapter 32, verse 1, he had been met by angels. And there are some people that say, oh, this, this is just an angel here that he is struggling with. The old Jewish rabbis, they believed that this was Jacob's guardian angel. Now, that seems ironic, doesn't it? Your guardian angel attacks you. But if you see the way Jacob responds to this man. He responds in such a way that he knows this is God. In verse 30, there's the name change of the place. Notice the patriarchs are, are good at this, of changing the name of the location to reflect the event or what occurred there. And it says that he named the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face. Many will say that this was a pre-incarnate experience with Jesus Christ. In any case, whatever you think, Jacob knew that he had been struggling with God. He wrestled with him. A couple years ago, I was going to preach on this passage. 
And uh, we were going to church, and uh, Rhett, he was four at the time, Rhett said, Dad, what are you preaching on today? And I said, I'm preaching on Jacob wrestling with God. Rhett said, well, God must have won that one. God always wins, right? You're wrestling with him. And there's a sense in which God does. It may talk about Jacob prevailing and hanging on, but understand that in this whole process, God is in control. And God is allowing this experience to come, and he's, he's allowing Jacob to wrestle with him. And Jacob has to come to that reality of seeing that it is God that he is wrestling with. And you know, in our lives, as we think about the plan of God for us, as we think about the will of God, and yes, as I said before, we are tempted. We have Satan that we wrestle against, his principalities, his powers. We know we wrestle against those things. But friends, there are days in our lives where we wrestle against God and his will and his purpose and his plan for us. May we all be honest in this place that all of us at some point have wrestled with the plan of God for our lives. That we've wrestled. It's amazing how God can find you, right? You may think you've escaped. You may think that you're all alone and you're doing your own thing and that God doesn't really care. But if you're a child of God, he will find you. And it may be at night by yourself... It may be as you are there by the river of Jabbok, but I'm going to tell you that God will find you in that wrestling match and that struggle. It will occur. And when you wrestle with God, you have to come to grips with who He is. And then you have to come to grips with who you are. Notice in this wrestling match, as God is wrestling with Jacob literally, God says, what is your name? Now, if it had been an angel, an angel should have known Jacob's name. But especially God. God knew who Jacob was, right? I mean, God wasn't asking Jacob his name for informative purposes. I believe as God... Ask Jacob his name. In so many ways, he was asking Jacob to admit who he was. Remember what the name Jacob means? Heel, deceiver, cheater, liar. Esau had said, well, my brother, he lives up to his name, Jacob. So here he is, Jacob is, he is in this battle with God, and God says, what is your name? And you can almost hear Jacob, you can almost hear him say, it's Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the liar. Yes, I recognize what I did to my dad. I recognize what I did to my brother. I am Jacob. And as painful as the wound that Jacob received was, I believe this was even more painful to admit who he was. And may we say that it's not always easy to admit who we are, especially to God. Because many times we don't want to even focus 
on who we are or what we look like. A few weeks ago, I was walking through the mall there at Monroe, trying to make my way to the camouflage store as quickly as possible. And as I was walking through the mall, different areas, I noticed they had all these different mirrors in these stores. You ever noticed that? They used to put normal mirrors in. Now they have installed, this is kind of neat, they have installed these mirrors that you would, that would have come out of one of those house of mirrors in the carnival, uh, you know, that distorts who you are just a little bit. Because when I walked by it, I noticed that I looked distorted. (laughs) There were places bulging on me that, (laughs) I was like, what? I, I don't look. I don't. I don't look like that. You know, I, I kind of hate mirrors because they show every issue I have, imperfections, deficiencies. I don't really like to look and see who I am. And yet, in the book of James, it says that the word of God is like a looking glass or a mirror in our lives. In other words, when I read the scripture and I look at it, it reflects back to me and it shows me who I am. And it can be some unpleasant experiences that I face. Because when I see who I am, I recognize that I'll fall in short of the glory of God. May I just tell you that you and I, we, we, could, we could carry the name Jacob because we have deceived before. We have. We've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God, everybody in this room. And when we wrestle with God and we see who he is, we also see who we are. We have to come face to face with that in our lives. But get this. second reality is when we wrestle with God... We come away from the experience changed. We have to come to grips with who he is and who we are, but then we come away, we come away changed. When Jacob is holding on to God, he is begging for blessing. Can you say that somehow Jacob is consumed with this idea of blessing? I mean, he is he has lied, he is deceived, he has stolen it from his brother, he is. He wants to be blessed. I mean, he is now hanging on to God with dear life because he wants to be blessed. Bless me. And in the midst of that, as God asked him who he is, God then renames Jacob. Verse 28, it says, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. But Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men, and have prevailed. God is the name changer, is he not? Especially in the book of Genesis. Abram to Abraham, Sarah to Sarah. God has the authority to change the name. And in Hebrew culture, the name is synonymous with the character and the identity of the person. So not only is it a name change, but it is a character change. It is an identity change. No longer are you Jacob, the deceiver, But now you are Israel, 
there is some contention over what the name Israel exactly means. Some would say that it, it means something like to struggle or persevere with God. As this context would dictate. Some would say that Israel could even mean prince. So get this. God is changing Jacob's name and identity and character. Now, I know Jacob had already been saved. He had already been saved. He had already committed his life to God. He had already had a Bethel moment even where he had been reassured of God's presence. But listen, God works in our lives continually. And he brings struggles in our lives, even those of us who are saved. So what, can he, what he can do is change us, our identity and our character, that he can grow us. And at this point, there is an identity change. If you struggle with God, I'm going to say to you that when you come out the other side of it, you ought to be changed. You ought to have a different character and identity about who you are. You could bear a new name before God and before others. Name is Israel. And now, if you were to look at a map of the Middle East, today you find a country by that name because there was a man named Israel that God changed his identity and his character and God blessed his family. Changed his name. Third reality. When we wrestle with God, we come away both wounded and blessed. Now, Jacob has a name change. And Jacob's going to walk differently. I don't want to spiritualize this too much, but he's going to walk differently after God has worked in his life after he has encountered the God of heaven. And yes, after we receive our identity change and our character change, we ought to walk differently when we walk with God. We should because we've been with him and we've experienced him. We've encountered him. But we come away both wounded and blessed. That's hard to imagine that the two of those characteristics could go together. Wounded and blessed. Verse 25 says... Now, when he saw that he did not prevail, that is, God did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint, and he wrestled with him. So it says that, that Jacob's hip was wrenched out of joint. How painful that must have been. What a wound he would carry with him. For the rest of his life, really. He never walked the same. He'd been wounded. He'd been wounded by God himself. It's hard to experience wounds in our lives. It's hard to experience those moments where we can feel the raw pain of events and circumstances it's hard to understand how God could allow such wounds to exist in his children's lives. Makes no sense sometimes to us. But may I suggest to you it is 
through a wound that you can find blessing. Someone has said that it is doubtful if God can use a man until he has first wounded him deeply. Tozer said, Tozer said that a man cannot be blessed until God has first conquered his heart and his life. Jacob has been wounded. He is in pain. He hurts. And yet it is through this that he finds blessing. Isn't it amazing how God can take a wound that you've experienced and he can bring blessing out of it? Second Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat king. He sees his enemies gathering against him. The Ammonites, the Moabites, the inhabitants of Mount Seir. By the way, Esau's descendants, those who are at Mount Seir. They're gathering against Jehoshaphat. Multitude, army that he knows will devastate his people. Jehoshaphat goes to God and he prays and he says, God, I need you to do something. I need you to act on our behalf. Please, please work and bring us victory. To which one of the men of God stands and speaks and says, God's going to handle this. You're not even going to have to fight. Don't worry about it. So they go into the valley and what happens? God brings victory. In the valley where they were supposed to be defeated, in the valley where they were going to be destroyed, they experienced victory. And what did they do? They named that valley the Valley of Barakah, the Valley of Blessing. Because it was in that same valley where they were going to be defeated, in that same valley where they were going to experience the, the enemy itself, it was in that valley that they found true blessing. Think about our lives where we thought we were going into that struggle against cancer or we were going into that struggle against death or we were going into different struggles in our lives and yet in the midst of it, we found the valley of blessing. God has a way of doing that. Taking the wound and bringing blessing. We struggle with God. We wrestle with Him in our lives about His will and His plan. There are moments we will come out wounded. But it is through that wound that we will see blessing. I love the way Ron Dunn, the great old Southern Baptist preacher, described that morning when Jacob reunited with his camps. Ron Dunn says, as the sun was coming up, Jacob began to cross that Jabbok. He crossed the Jabbok. He must have, well, he must have been struggling as his hip was out of joint. And as the camps, his family, his, his men and his women who served him, as they looked across and they saw him coming, they saw a man that was injured. They saw a man that looked like he had been in a fight. At first, they might have thought he had just fallen accidentally or hurt himself. But as he grew closer, his hair was disheveled. They could tell that he had contended with someone during the night. As Rondon says, they could tell that he had been in a dog fight and the dog had won. 
And as he approached, limping, they said, Jacob, Jacob, are you fine? Jacob, what's happened to you? Jacob, you're hurt, you're wounded. To which Jacob said, no, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And perhaps when Jacob walked off, some of them looked at each other and they said to themselves, that doesn't look like a blessed man I've seen. But Jacob knew in his heart and his life, he had been blessed, even through the wound. Some of us have experienced the wound in our hearts. We've experienced the pain. And yet, we can still call ourselves blessed. The world may not understand that. The world may look at us and say, hey, they don't look like blessed people. Look at what they've been through. But we know we're blessed. You see, when you wrestle with God, you have to come to grips with who he is, who you are. When you wrestle with God, you come away changed. And you come away wounded and blessed at the same time. Now listen, this morning some of you are wrestling with God. You're struggling with him. Maybe over certain issues. All of us are going to at some point in our lives. Maybe it's his will for you. And you think you can escape. You think, if I can only make it through a 32-minute sermon. But Dr. Reggie, I escaped and I'm gone and I'm good. Let me tell you this. God will find you. You may lay down tonight. You may get up in the morning. God will find you. And not in some vindictive way. Don't don't get that. God is wanting to work in your life to bring you to a closer relationship with him so that you'll fulfill his purpose and his plan and you'll know what true satisfaction is. So he'll, he'll find you. And he'll wrestle with you. And what he calls you to do is submit. Submit your life and surrender. Would you submit to that plan this morning? Would you surrender? As God comes to you and brings conviction and struggle. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and we praise your name. And God, there have been some difficult moments in our lives, Lord, moments where we have struggled. We recognize that. And some of us this morning in this place, Lord, we're struggling with your plan for our lives, the will that you have. We're struggling in our family. We're struggling. Lord, it's just a struggle. Life itself is. God, I pray that you would use these moments, that you would use this time to help us draw near to you and focus on you and submit ourselves to you. God, speak to every man, woman, boy, and child here in this place this morning and help us as we surrender and submit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.